Well, here's a few things that made me laugh this week. Next time a stranger talks to you when you're alone, just look at them shocked and whisper, you can see me? (laughs) Today is take your kid to work day. And Julia has two passions in her life, cannabis and horses. (laughs) All right, we continue our series in on-roads, on-ramps to uh, the freeway of God's grace, God's undeserved favor. It's undeserved, nothing we can do to earn it, but there's some things we can do to turn the faucet on to access His grace, and we're looking at some of those in this series Today, two amazing graces, and we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, and this time, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, and the first one of the two amazing graces is the amazing grace of marriage, and then the amazing grace of singleness, we're going to look at today from 1 Corinthians. Talking point number one, a Holy Spirit-filled life imparts grace, undeserved favor, for a supernaturally affectionate marriage. A supernaturally affectionate marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 we see. Now concerning the things of which you wrote me. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless because of sexual morality. Let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husbands, to her husband. uh, Get that right. (laughs) Paul, uh, his expectation for a supernatural marriage. You know, sometimes we think of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous power of God in terms of healing or the nine spiritual gifts or more. But have you discovered that you need supernatural strength, supernatural power, that you need uh, with God, all things are possible in every area of your life? Now, what was going on with the Corinthian church is that Paul is redigging the wells of faith in the basic Christian life paradigm that he had taught them when he was there and that they had been deterred from by some false teachers. A lot of them had been. And Paul is redigging the wells, like Isaac did with his dad Abraham. Redug the wells, reestablished. Something we talked about last time is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the first wave. The second wave is the resurrected presence of Jesus Christ in our life, with resurrection power for us. He's alive and he loves us 24 7. And that morphs into the fact that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Not, a one, not just a one-time Acts chapter 2 experience for us, but an ongoing river of the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. Be being filled. Be passive. It's in the passive mood. Be, it's got, we're passive. God does it. But it's, a, it's still an imperative mood. Um, uh, passive voice, I mean. We are passively, but we're commanded to receive the Spirit, and it's a present continuous. So the idea from that verse is the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not just a one-time shot. 
It's turning the faucet on <laughs> and receiving from the Spirit in a continual way. And that morphs into a change in lifestyle. You know, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, remember the Apostle Paul says, those that, that believe have the Spirit, they're born of the Spirit, and they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. In an ongoing way, we have a movement in our minds and our thinking and our spirits. We want to set our minds on what the Spirit desires. Now, these false teachers had come in and di distracted the Corinthian church with their minds onto some other stuff. And even though they had begun to run well, once you leave the, the basic Christian life paradigm that I mentioned just a moment ago, with uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit being part and parcel of it, is that re human relationships break down. And so there's divisions in the church in Corinth. And there's lawsuits happening. And people are getting drunk at communion. And there's the abuse of spiritual gifts. And there's not reading, the, and there's not a commitment to the apostolic doctrine that there used to be there. They had a higher level of wisdom, they thought. But the truth of the matter is, when you abandon the basic life paradigm, Christian life paradigm, including a, the strength and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit that we set our minds at any given moment, we do our very best to set our minds on what the Spirit desires and therefore have the mind of Christ, then out of that, our lifestyle ends up changing in beautiful, powerful ways. And the Apostle Paul establishes who they are once again and then addresses point by point some of the areas that he's expecting to change. And one of them is uh, their attitude towards marriage. There was two attitudes towards sexuality that he's modifying. One of them is that it really doesn't matter. My, my spirit's pure, and so it doesn't matter what my body does, so my body can go ahead and just go to prostitutes, do whatever it wants to do, my body. The other, other attitude about it is, uh, the body is bad, the spirit is good, therefore, because the body is bad, uh, we really shouldn't be having sex at all, even, even in the context of marriage. And the Apostle Paul is addressing that. It's uh, interesting that God is very, very committed to all areas of our life, and he won't even leave us alone in the bedroom. He, is, uh, he gave us a gift of sexuality and marriage, and he wants it only within the, that... Uh, that those boundaries of marriage. We know uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse um, 4, that, that God says that, uh, the marriage, that marriage is honorable among all people, and the marriage bed is undefiled, but God will judge the fornicators, that is, those that have sex before marriage. Some of us have had to ask God to forgive us for that, right? And, wasn't looking at anybody particularly, <laughs> <laughs> And those that, uh, and God will also judge the fornicators and God will judge the adulterers. So, um, so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is saying God is wanting to bless your marriages. And, it, and a big part of that, a great part of that is the, your, the marriage bed. So, we know that the very first miracle of Jesus was at Cana of Galilee. What did he do? He turned water into wine at what? A marriage. And that tells us symbolically in an illustrating way that Jesus Christ and his resurrection presence is right in the middle, not just of your wedding, but in your marriage. Right in the middle of your marriage wants to bless 
every aspect of your marriage, that it be affectionate, not, not just sexually, but in every area of your marriage. Proverbs 18, verse 22 reads, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor, that is, grace, from the Lord. So there's grace that comes to us in the context of a Christian marriage. Undeserved favor, not only to supernaturally have the strength to be a blessing to our spouse, husband, or wife, but also out of that out of that wonderful gift of marriage to together bless others with the anointing of the Spirit. One will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. There's power in a marriage. I'll tell you a story, true story of Glenn and Betty Peoples that was told me when Glenn was in his late... Uh, no, maybe mid-80s. This was many years ago. When we were pastoring up in Hammond, Oregon. Hammond, Oregon is a town of 500 people. It's the most northwest town in the state of Oregon. There's huge water bodies on three sides. If there's ever a tsunami, it's, uh, <laughs> we'll be the first ones to heaven in Hammond, Oregon. So, Glenn was in the church I was serving there, Philadelphia Church. And he, he, is, he was at the time the most gentle, spirit-filled, cried easy man, brother. And he sat in my office one day and relayed a story to me that was shocking to me because I couldn't um, fathom it really because it was so different than who he was as a spirit-filled Jesus person. His dear wife, Betty, had passed away just a few weeks before we arrived to, to be associate pastors at the church, and then we ended up being the senior pastors there for seven years. But <clears throat> Glenn re relayed the story to me that they had had a really rough marriage at the beginning. She was just 17, if you know what I mean. And her looks were way beyond compare. <laughs> I would not dance with another when I saw her standing there. <laughs> That's how Glenn felt about Betty. And uh, they liked to dance. And he was 20 and she was 17 when they got married. And that marriage happened in 1929. It was a ways back. In the weeks that followed, they didn't get along very well, but they still liked to go to dances, and they would drink and go to dances. And one time, she disappeared. They had a dance hall in Hammond, and she, she disappeared. He couldn't find her anywhere. He kind of was drunk. He staggered out into the parking lot, and he found her in the car with another guy. So he, he took her home, and uh, they went to bed went without a word. The next morning, and... Please hear me and believe me when I say I am not recommending this as in any way at any level. But he set a pistol, loaded pistol down on the kitchen table. And he said, you hurt me really bad. And I'm just going to tell you that you can go if you want. But if you decide to stay with me, if you ever do that again, I'm going to shoot you. 
and I can hardly imagine this, but apparently he was a rough-and-tumble logger, and this was kind of normative behavior for loggers, pagan loggers in the Hammond, Oregon area that day. Felt normal to him. Well, she decided to stay. (laughs) She behaved herself. And a few years later, she got good saved and baptized in the Spirit. And her whole demeanor changed. She was happy and joyful and was always wanting to go to church. And he was, he was annoyed, irritated, chagrined. But finally, he came to the point, if you can't beat him, join him. So he went to church with her, got himself good saved as well in Jesus. And they ended up, in 1949, um, they ended up... Uh, Serving God all those years together, had an amazing marriage. He, he described his great love for his wife, tears, in my office there that day. And, he, and she ended up, at the age of 37, being called, wait a minute, 29, yeah, 37, to be called, she was called to be the pastor of Hammond Gospel Mission, Holy Spirit Pentecostal Church in the little town of Hammond. He described it to me as water. I, every time I, we have ever had a water leak, I think, well, Hammond Gospel Mission had water leaks. <laughs> they put pails out, catch the water, rained a lot. still rains a lot in the Hammond, Oregon area. And that became the basis of Philadelphia Church, where I served. Started in 1949, Hammond Gospel Mission. And uh, I, I served there uh, all those years later. Uh, 37 years later, and it's still going today, real strong. It's four or 500 people there when I was serving there. Still going strong today. And I've often thought it all started with a horrible marriage that Jesus redeemed. With his blood, his resurrection friendship presence, and a continual baptism of the Holy Spirit that together, she was the preacher, he was the servant, but they were both so spirit-filled that they together served relentlessly and unstoppably in an unknown town, only known, really, by the angels of heaven and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and the devil who got beat up badly. (laughs) But they're known. You know, there's... You wonder how many other stories are not known that God knows. But it just very much reminded me that the Holy Spirit's plan for us in our marriages is to be healed and to be happy. And out of that, to to operate with supernatural strength to minister to, to other people. They saw things differently. When you're filled with the Spirit, you see things from God's angle. You see things with God's wisdom, not the Corinthian crazy pseudo-apostolic wisdom. You see, here's a good line. You see things differently. We do not see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. It feels normal to be dysfunctional when we're not in touch with the Spirit. 
We can't understand why in the wake of our life there's chaos. Because what we're doing feels normal. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we see things from God's angle, God's perspective, and everything changes for the good. And we look in the wake of our life and we see people healed and delivered and blessed and helped. If you uh, haven't started your journey with Christ, you're going to have a chance at the end of this talk to get started with Jesus. So be ready for that. Ready to start your supernatural journey. Second talking point of the three today. A Holy Spirit-filled life imparts grace, undeserved favor to every single dimension of marriage. Not just God blessing and inviting us to be blessed in the marriage bed, but other areas. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her body, own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. You don't have to abandon your marriage bed to pray, just so you know. But you can if you want for a time for fasting and prayer. But it is incumbent upon us that are married to make sure that we have times of prayer, sometimes for fasting and, and definitely sometimes for prayer with our spouse. There is an enormous amount of power that comes from married couples praying together. It is a truly an untapped resource that it's impossible to exaggerate the importance of the, of the, the potency of, of Christian couples praying together. Brent and I have a habit a few times a week, typically, receiving communion together and then praying for five minutes, Thanksgiving prayers, one sentence, uh, you know, back and forth, back and forth several times, Thanksgiving and praise, and then petitioning, asking God for stuff, just a 15-minute time altogether, but powerful. We, we both very much appreciate that being in our lives. My friends, you know that there are three areas that each of us need to have balance in in our life for a long haul, wholesome, whole, happy time for our whole life journey. Many people have these three things out of balance, but those bad, I mentioned them before, but having times of worship and prayer, worship and then serving others, either in our work in some way or in our family or with our gifts that God gives us to serve other people. Serving others is the second area, and then recreation. Hopefully, you have intimate times of worship with God in your personal journey, and you have a, a, a lifestyle of serving others at your work, in your family, your extended family, in your neighborhood. You're always thinking in terms of some, in some way, using your gifts, your talents, your anointings to serve other people. There's great joy in serving other people. It's more blessed to give than even to receive. And then also, God has given us all things to richly enjoy, and every good and perfect gift comes from above. And no, I'm not going to mention my motorcycle or my fishing this time. <laughs> Two most amazing recreational activities. 
But I want, to, I want to mention, and I'm better at this for guys than I am for girls because I clearly am a guy. <laughs> and, but I want to mention um, communication, how God wants to give us supernatural ability to communicate with our spouse. One, active listening. Here's uh, some stereotypes for guys and their listening skills. Do men's ears actually work, or are they just for show, asking for a friend? And then this one, my wife just stopped and said, you weren't even listening, were you? And I thought, that's a pretty weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> I want to encourage us, guys and gals, to listen Listen, but focus on the effective domain, the feeling domain, not just the mechanical, how, uh, how was your day, what did you do today, not the concrete cognitive domain, but how did you feel today? Well, I uh, will often ask Brenda, what made you laugh today? What made you feel happy? What, what made you feel frustrated today? And then my habit is to... Uh, to state it back to her, my own words, just to, to make sure I understand it. It's, it's focusing on the, on the feeling dimension of communication and, and trying to listen what, to what she's feeling. Then there's a the conscientious cheer factor. Do you know a lot of times guys will bring, uh, they'll, they'll give their best at their work, but they'll come home and it's their place to unwind. But what that means is, dumping negativity on their spouse and children in the home in the name of respite and rest. And my brothers, these things ought not to be. And um, I got hit with that about 15 years ago. I can still picture the moment when the conviction hit me. And I, Brenda looked me right in the eye at a dinner table and said, you know, you're really cheerful with everybody else I've noticed the last few days. But when you come home, you, you really bum us out. Boy, I repented, and I'm doing way better at it, just so you can know that. You can ask Brenda that. I'm pretty cheerful at home as well as with you. Jesus said, you know, it's really not an excuse for us to say, well, you don't know what my day was like. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. And the word in the Greek is pressure, stress. But... Be of good cheer. And he says it three different times in, the, in, his, in his talks. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. We can retreat to his presence and the truth of his word, the greater reality, and we can choose cheerfulness. We have permission to be cheerful at home, gentlemen and ladies. This is Victoria Osteen. Our words and the tone of our voice matter. Do not be a thermometer that measures the tone, but a thermostat that sets the tone of the atmosphere. I want to move to talk the last few minutes about singleness. And as I was studying this out, I already committed to doing both in my own heart, my own spirit, and preparing this in the presence of God. But, you know, we could talk whole series is on marriage, and we could talk whole series is on singleness. But I just want to mention 
the amazing grace of singleness and how singleness is a, uh, is a means of grace if you're single. Here's my third and last talking point. A Holy Spirit-filled life imparts grace for supernaturally anointed singleness. And here's a picture of someone who is not supernaturally anointed single. You might recognize him. This is what I mean when I say I'm single and living my best life. No, that's not. Homer actually is married. He just forgot, I guess. <laughs> but it's not your best life. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, but I say this is a concession, not as a commandment. Interesting, though. He says it as a concession. He says, this is not a commandment, but because it ends up in the Bible, it is a commandment. It's an imperative. It's a directive. For I wish that all men were as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one this manner, another that. In other words, some people have a gift of singleness. Some people have a gift of marriage. It's the, the Greek word is charismata, charismatic. It's an anointed gift. And uh, if you have a gift of marriage, you better get married. If you have a gift of singleness, you have the right to fully enjoy being single without anybody saying to you, when are you going to get married? And that's a mistake the Christian culture, evangelical culture, often makes. Because in the Bible, there is a gift of being single, and it's a beautiful gift. Paul says this. But I say to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, like a single guy. Remember Genesis 1? God said, it was good, it was good, it was good. In the last, in the sixth day, it is very good. And then he says, it's not good for a man to be alone. Well, Paul comes on the scene and says, just so you know, New Testament supersedes that. If you have a gift of being single, it is good to be single. It's a good thing. Paul and Jesus were single. Luke was single. Luke, the writer of the gospel, Luke, the book of Acts. Early church history tells us he lived to be 84 years old, city of Antioch. He was an artist and a medical doctor his whole life. Celebrated a happy single life his whole life. Um, Paul says in verse 28, the married will have trouble in the flesh and I would spare you. So that's one advantage of being single. Then he, then he says in verse 32, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. John Stott is a British theologian. He was, uh, I heard a lecture by him when I was up in uh, going to graduate school in Vancouver, B.C., University of British Columbia, Regent College there. He's a chaplain to the Queen of England at the time, and he's the pastor of All Souls Church there in London. Single his whole life into the 90s, into his, into his 90s before he went to heaven. And I remember a talk he gave at a lunch one time 
that really struck me. It was a very interesting talk about the blessings of singleness. And two of, the two of the things that he highlighted was that you have more time to develop your gifts, like of writing. You have more time to develop your and strengthen your gifts, writing, preaching for him, whatever it is. You have more time for God and more time to, to celebrate your own creativity because you don't have to serve someone else. You don't have to serve kids. Uh, or grandkids, or your spouse, you just you can just fully give yourself in serving others through your anointings and giftings. Plus, you have more time for deeply satisfying friendships of both sexes, platonic friendships, both sexes. As a married person, um, you can't develop real close friendships from those of the opposite sex. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work. I wouldn't particularly like it if if Brenda said to me, "By the way, I have a new friend," and. Uh, He's a guy, and I'll be having lunch with him every, every day for the next uh, three or four years. <laughs> Wouldn't set well with me. I'd feel a little bit threatened by that, and, and uh, it, it would be a normal thing. But if you're single, you can have platonic relationships, deep friendships, and really enjoy people in a profound way. Those are just, that's just the outline. I didn't really have a chance to flesh that part out, but um, let's stand up right now. Marriage as a means of grace. Some have this gift, some have another gift. What's your charismata? Is it to be married? Is it to be single? There's a time perhaps for each of those, for, for many of us. If you're, wherever you're at with that right now, don't wish it was different, but fully celebrate the blessing of what that is for you in this season. If you uh, don't have Christ in your life, you don't have any supernatural help in these areas. We're going to pray a prayer together right now to give you a chance to start a supernatural life with Jesus. For the sake of people at, on our t with our TV audience and anyone in here that might be praying to receive Christ for the first time. We're going to pray a very simple prayer, but it's a potent prayer, a powerful prayer. Say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I call upon you to save me. Make me born again. Make my spirit come alive. Give me a hunger for you. Amen. Now your job, if you prayed that for the first time, is to tell a Christian friend. They will disciple you into ever-increasing levels of supernatural joy and peace and resurrection Jesus' life. You won't be sorry you prayed that prayer. God bless everybody here. Thanks for coming today. Have a great day. We love you. Amen.